I'm delighted to welcome you as you join us on Search for Truth. I'm your host, John Martin, and as usual, I introduce our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, for what is today the final programme in this series called Knights of Old. Today, Brian is looking at the central event found in the Bible, which is recorded for us by all four Gospel writers, but uh, particularly by Matthew and Luke. The night we're looking at this time was a very special night, and Brian has called it a night to end all night forever. So let's hear now from Brian. Bethlehem's homes, mothers would have been settling their children down to sleep. In the courtyards of the inn, the cattle too, I guess, would have been settling down to rest. In the fields, the sheep would have been lying down, while the shepherds were perhaps sitting around their fires. But in what was probably the stable of an inn, a virgin mother has given birth and laid her child in a manger. The long journey of preparation for the arrival of the Saviour of the world ended on this one night. For this great event, on this night of nights, had been long promised. Straight after our first parents' disobedience, there was recorded the somewhat obscure but certain promise of a deliverer, one who, it was said, as the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, that latter being a reference to Satan. To Abraham, the further promise was given that through his seed all nations of the earth would be blessed. Then Moses tells the people that a greater lawgiver than himself will appear in the future. Balaam, a prophet from outside Israel, declares, There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. The psalmist sings of a great king whose name would endure forever and who would have the heathen for his inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for his possession. The prophets declare that someone's coming whose name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In addition to these general promises, there are specific ones too. The one who is to come will be of the tribe of Judah, of the line of David, and Bethlehem will be his birthplace. Why didn't Christ come, say, a hundred years before or after the actual time at which he did come? The answer is... The Bible says that he came in the fullness of the time, when the time was ripe, at the end of all the preparation for it. The Jewish law had proclaimed the oneness and the holiness of God. The tabernacle and the temple sacrifices had foreshadowed the great sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. Christ came to the Jew first, and the enlightened among them were expecting him and waiting for him, people like devout Simeon, who had waited for the consolation of Israel. It was not by accident, then, that on this night of nights the Saviour was born in Bethlehem of Judea instead of at Athens or in Rome. There was a fullness of preparation, too, in the Gentile world, for the world had failed by its wisdom to come to know God. A dying, hopeless world was ready for the gospel of life, forgiveness, righteousness and hope. The conquests of Alexander the Great had given the world an almost universal tongue, ready for use by those who'd soon proclaim the good news of the gospel. The conquests of Rome, too, had crushed the warring and independent nations of the world, and the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, held sway when Christ was born. Otherwise, humanly speaking, Christianity would have been strangled in its cradle. But under Roman law and government, and over the splendid Roman highways, 
the heralds of the gospel, went into the world with a common language to preach Christ. The time had come. God's hour had struck on that night of nights in Bethlehem. What unfolds to us in that night is the most stupendous fact. Even the great mind of the Apostle Paul, when he thought about it, exclaimed, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. In the Gospel accounts by Matthew and Luke, we have the sublime story of how he came. God not only sent his only Son into the world, but he sent him in a way that forever touches our hearts. We call that a stupendous fact a moment ago. And let me say that Christianity depends upon its great facts. It can't be ethically and morally true and at the same time historically false. Without this record of Jesus' birth, without the Bible declaring that this was God in heaven sending his own Son into the world, Christ would be the supreme enigma of the ages. And we rejoice he came in the way that he did. The charm of the Christmas story lies in the way Christ came to earth. The wondering of the girl from Nazareth at what the angel had told her. The virgin mother arriving at Bethlehem where there was no room for them in the inn. The manger cradle, the lowing cattle, the echoing song of the angels, the bowing shepherds, the star guiding the philosophers from the east. We're not left in any doubt as to the purpose of that wonderful birth on that night of nights in Bethlehem. The prophets had predicted he'd come as a saviour. The angel of the Lord said to Joseph that the child to be born was to be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The angel told the shepherds that a saviour was born to them. Later in his writing, the disciple John said that Jesus came to bring light and life into the world. The apostle Paul, also writing in the Bible, said that Jesus had come to save sinners and Jesus himself summed it all up by saying that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The child that was born on this night of nights was born to die upon the cross for the salvation of all who come to fully trust in him. It was through his birth and death that he'd come to seek and to save that which was lost. Ever since that time, Jesus Christ has been seeking and finding the lost. Through the centuries, with their dark, sad clouds of human anarchy and sin and war, shines the everlasting light with still invincible hope. The coming of Christ was all about bringing peace between God and man, the peace of forgiveness, not political peace. But if all of us were to receive that peace, we'd have peace between the nations too. Mentioning the connection between Christ's coming and peace on earth reminds me that a recently published book of memories documents a strange but apparently true happening amid all the carnage of the fighting of the Great War. In the first months of World War I, while the mud was still new to the troops in the trenches and the killing also was still novel to them, Christmas approached. Some of the soldiers on both sides crossed no man's land and met to exchange gifts, sing carols, play games of soccer and socialise. This so-called Christmas truce lasted in some sectors for several days or even a couple of weeks. It was declared by the soldiers over the Christmas holiday in 1914. Officers repeatedly but unsuccessfully 
attempted to suppress this friendly behaviour amid the frozen mud. They feared the men wouldn't be able to go back to the business of killing each other after such fraternisation. A bone-chilling concept indeed when you think about it. The mud of Flanders had covered the German grey and the British khaki alike and given everyone a common uniform. The soldiers who yesterday were seeking to kill one another now put out their hands towards each other in a friendly clasp and greeting and wished one another Merry Christmas in broken English or in broken German and passed the morning and the afternoon of Christmas Day in brotherly friendship with songs and the exchanging of gifts. Through that brief period, prior to Christmas in 1914, on the battlefields of Flanders, when German and British soldiers spontaneously agreed to declare a truce and suspend fighting, we glimpse how much more horrendous the war must have been for them after they'd clasped hands and focused on their common humanity. But as the light of Christmas Day faded, and the men in grey and the men in khaki went back to their dismal trenches, they did take up their instruments of death once more. I wonder, will our thoughts today, thoughts about the Saviour, Christ the Lord, and his coming to change hearts, will our thoughts of him leave us just as quickly? Will we go straight back to our old ways of behaving? Or will the Saviour, born on that night of all nights, make a real and eternal difference to us, a lasting difference that will more and more be seen in us by others? With that challenging thought for all of us, we come to an end of this series, which we've called Nights of Old, and in which we've looked together at many important nights in the Bible. Some we've seen were nights of destiny, as when world empires changed hands overnight. Others were nights of individual, heroic faith, involving the likes of Daniel. We've concluded with the high point of our series, the greatest night of all, the night when the Saviour came to earth and was cradled in Bethlehem's manger. But I want to leave you with this amazing thought. He was born at night, that we might experience no more night. You see, at the very end of the Bible, we're given a glimpse of what it'll be like for believers in the world to come. One of the many striking features in the description we find there is this. There will be no more night. Please, don't refuse the invitation of Bethlehem's Saviour, for if you do, you will go out into eternal night. You may remember that it's written of Judas, the betrayer, that he went out and it was night. Instead, I ask you to follow the everlasting light, born that night 2,000 years ago, so that for us it'll be a case of no more night forever and ever. In the
It's an absolutely marvellous prospect for the Christian when Christ, the everlasting light, shall receive us into his presence. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation says, and it's uh, chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. Now, we would love to help you to learn more about the Christian faith and what it could mean for you, so if you would like to do so, please get in touch. We would be pleased to help you for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. You might like to study the programmes in this series with the help of the free transcript booklet. You can obtain it by requesting the title Knights of Old and you can order by email or by post and here's our contact details. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. So many thanks for your company once again as we come to the end of another programme and the end of this series. Next week, God willing, we begin a new series of programmes and I hope you'll be able to join us. But until then, very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian studio technician David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you. There they need-